Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aaliyah, and my favorite character ever is probably Sir Percival Blakeney from The Scarlet Pimpernel. My name is Caitlin, and my favorite character ever is Zuko from The Last Airbender. No, he stole mine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Cameron, and today I'm going to go with Yzma of The Imprisoned Group. My name is Kristen, and I'm really stumped by this question. Today, I'm feeling Joe March. That doesn't surprise me. (laughs) Hi, I'm Ben. Uh, Caitlin stole my favorite character ever. So I'm going to go with another good character. I recently read The Girl Who Drank the Moon. And Mm -hmm. a good character in that is... Well, they're all good characters, but I'm going to say Glurk, the swamp monster. Good character. I haven't read that, but I really want to. It sounds you good. all should. I like you that all name. should read it. Also, everybody listening to this should read it. So, as you've probably noticed by now, this week we have specially recurring contributor Ben Grange again, who is an agent at the L. Perkins Literary Agency. And so, on this podcast, we've mentioned a lot that the best plots, the best stories, are those that are character driven. And today, we want to delve into that a little bit more. We want to discuss how to create an interesting character. So, to start out, what do we mean by interesting character? I would say that means a character that I want to follow. That's pretty straightforward. (laughs) That is not like all of the other characters I've ever read about in my entire life. A character that surprises me and has like real thoughts and feelings and isn't a piece of cardboard. So you want them to be predictable but surprising? Not predictable. Well, like developed? No, I think Cameron's got a point there. We do want our characters to be predictable, but we also want them to surprise us. Like I want to look at a character and be able to see 50 pages in advance and say like oh okay i know that this character might plan to do that in the future but i don't know i'm gonna see is he gonna surprise me or what is she gonna surprise me what like i i mean that's like a very very apt description i think the most interesting characters are a mixture of contradictions where you aren't sure quite which thing they're going to act on more so if you've got like warring interests because we all have different things we have to prioritize and so i think it is really, really interesting when characters also have to put their priorities in order. So especially when it conflicts with other characters. So if you mm-hmm. have, like, in order for a character to be interesting, they pretty much they have to want something that they can't have. A good character is a, is a character with goals, and those goals need opposition. Like, people always ask what the formula is for writing a good book, and, like, you'll always hear the response that there is no formula, but there is, and it has everything to do with the character. If you can write a character that has strong goals, is actively pursuing them with flawed ability, flawed intent, and other imperfections, then something forceful is standing in the way of said character's ability to accomplish that goal, then you're, I mean, that's the formula for a book, for a good book. That's a good point. And so I think a couple of people so far have mentioned that we want the character to be predictable, to fit with our story, but also to have those conflicts. So how do you brainstorm a character that's made specifically for your story so that they don't sound like every other character already written about? That's a really good question. When I think about this, I think a lot, the the environment a character is placed in is really going to change even like the basis of what they know to make a decision off of. And so when I thought about this, I was thinking about, I guess, where you're raised really affects the way you turn out. And so like genre wise that affects your character too because like a girl who's the only child on a spaceship is going to prioritize different things than the teenage guy who wants to be a ballet champion like they're they have different stories and different things to care about and it's going to change who they are and so i think 
you really have to take into account even stuff that happens before your story begins, I think. And like, you really have to think about where these characters are coming from to know how they're best going to suit what you, what you're writing about. I think another thing to think about is everything that's already been done Mm -hmm. and characters that tend to come out of specific kinds of stories. Like how many stories do we have about like a farm boy? Who's the chosen one? (laughs) Like there are so many. And so if you're going to write a fantasy about somebody who's maybe a farm boy or the chosen one, it's maybe a good idea to think about how you can come at it from a different perspective. So your Mm -hmm. character doesn't read like exactly every other character that's ever been written about the subject. Yeah, that's a great point. Like I think something that I tell a lot of my authors to do is to think of their characters as a sense of place. You want your book to have an interesting setting, an interesting world building, etc. But every character is also their own sense of place. Every character is a setting, a, a breeding ground for issues and desires and complexities and struggles, you know, the same kind of way that a kingdom is. So your characters are always going to be connected to your sense of place your book's atmosphere. So give them details that are specifically influenced by the setting. That's always going to be how to differentiate your character, even though they might be a farm boy in an epic fantasy or, you know, whatever. We've all all seen farmers and we've seen the the consequences of being raised a farmer, but have we seen the consequences of being raised a spider farmer? Oh, do we want to be? (laughs) This is true. Well, I don't know if we have actually seen the consequences of being a farmer because... I mean, maybe this is really political. <laughs> I, <laughs> I I lived in Montana for a couple of years where farming like was the main thing. And like most of the farmers I met, they were either really old and like weren't going to be moving anywhere or they were younger and were like, get me out of here. I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> and so I think we have like... New hope. A new hope. Yeah, there yeah, we go. That's true. Right into reality. <laughs> no, um, but I think like the realities of being a farmer and stuff like that is something you'd have to like is something that gets glossed over a whole lot. They're like, look, there are cows and there are horses and now we're going on an adventure. But like, if you really want to get into that character, go do some research. Because that is, no, that is, this is a good point. It's definitely true. It's like people take the farmer because it's so commonplace and they assume that because they're doing the farmer, that farmer means blank template for the character to just be like a faceless nobody who is just a vehicle for the plot. Like you can look at, it's like, well, like what kind of, it's like, so you have to go to spider farm. It's like, well, do they have a history of like failed you know, failed crops? Is this someone who's going to look at any kind of food anywhere and place a much higher value on it than, say, the wealthy farmer next door? I was thinking about fairy tale adaptations because, like, at the heart of every Cinderella story, the Cinderella character is the same person. But if you compare, like, Danielle from Ever After with Hilary Duff from uh, the Cinderella story, it's <laughs> they're different people. And it's because the people who've written these scripts have thought about, like, Yeah, they've thought about the consequences of being raised the way they were raised. And I think even if you're literally portraying the exact same character, if you shift anything, it's going to turn out differently. So you can use like a stock template. And as long as you're you're giving these characters kind of dimensions to them, they're not going to be the same person. Mm -hmm. And it kind of seems like if you do it that way, then your plot will feel a lot less contrived because it will match the character instead of the other way around. Real life is complicated. If you reflect that, you get complicated characters. Mm -hmm. So how do you make your characters sound different from one another? Okay, well, I absolutely love the power of dialogue. I think think the best way to start is by listening to how people around you speak. Because my dad is really into sports. And so when he talks, he 
all his stories kind of sound the same. He'll put in sound effects and he'll, <laughs> he'll just kind of, he'll play it out for you kind of play by play. And that's not how I tell stories because I'm more into kind of narrative driven things. And so my dad and I, when we talk, we sound different from each other because we like different things and the things that we like are reflected in what we talk about. And like my family is military. And so we've lived all over the place and I could instantly pick apart. I like, I could differentiate someone who grew up in Hawaii from someone who grew up in Florida because just the environment you're in changes your very syntax. It changes the way you phrase your sentences. And so I think you just have to really learn to have a really good ear for how people around you are talking and mimic that in what you're writing. It's really important that you eavesdrop when you're doing that. So you don't influence. The <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think honestly, though, that's that's one of the core tenets of writing good dialogue and making your characters sound different from each other. The at the heart of it is empathy. If you can go listen to other people and not just hear their words, but hear the way that they're saying their words and hear the emotion behind their words, you're going to get to know those people a little bit better. And then you can in turn go to your writing and put that empathy back into your into your you know fictional worlds that you're creating into your characters and seriously empathy is probably the most important thing in learning to listen to people and then have that uh those conversations then inform your your dialogue that you write and i think very very few lines of dialogue in your book should be the sort where you can just change the name that said it and make it still work like you should very rarely be able to do that that's for sentences that mean nothing. Like in Harry Potter, if Hermione was to say the exact same thing as Harry, like you would not be able to use the same sentence. You'd have to change it. And I think that's really important as well to make sure all of your characters are distinguishable, even just from the actual words they're saying, minus the the dialogue tag. An interesting exercise that I've done and seen other people done, and it's entertaining and instructive, is if you can write an entire short story using nothing but dialogue and then no dialogue tags whatsoever. You can feel like what it takes to have characters who are strong enough that without any extra dialogue and identifiers at all, you can tell who's talking and what's going on. I feel like Harry Potter is actually a really good example because Ron, Hermione, and Harry are very different characters. Just I'm rereading the Harry Potter series right now because I'm stressed out and that's what I do. (laughs) Um, And Ron is very consistently like he complains and he makes fun of people. And like he never is positive about anything pretty much. (laughs) And then Harry um, is always like thinking about Quidditch and he's always listening and he's always in awe of like the, the wizarding world because it's all new to him. And then Hermione's nose is always in a book or she's always quoting somebody or saying, Oh, I read this book about, and it's, it's very scholarly almost. And so I think it's just a really good example of a variation between characters based on how they talk. Well, like the line, there's no need to call me sir, professor could not have come from any other character. Like that's pure Harry. <laughs> well, it's interesting too, because those characters, they're almost stereotypical in how well they fit the mold, but we still enjoy them almost because they fit the mold so well. I mean, this might sound a little like literary of me, but a really good one to look at is Hills Like White Elephants by Ernest mm-hmm. Hemingway. Mm-hmm. Is that, I mean, there's a, there's a little bit of dialogue tags throughout that. It's a short story. It's like five pages long if you look at it. It takes, at least it used to take me forever to read this when I was in, when I was studying it, just because it's really dense and it's Hemingway. Um, (laughs) But like, it's, there are hardly any dialogue tags and you really have to pay attention to who's speaking uh, to, to get it. And that if you, if you can study that, look at it and kind of try to emulate the way that, that that's done, you'll be able to have 
differentiating dialogue between your characters. That's a good one to look at. I think another thing that you could do if you feel like listening to this podcast, you can figure out which of us is talking based on just the language that we use. (laughs) I don't know if you've noticed, but Ben always says, absolutely. And then... (laughs) I do. (laughs) (laughs) And I say like and um a lot. And I also say, I feel like that's one of mine. And then I ramble. I have very, (laughs) very long disjointed thoughts. Well, and Cameron always says, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But he also says lots of other stuff too. That's, I mean, there are lots of things that I don't even notice. And Aaliyah's always like right on track. And I'm like (laughs) always saying exactly what she means. I (laughs) I wish that were true. But actually, we do have one more question before we go over to critique. <laughs> Helping you out there, listeners. Um, so how do you make your character not boring, but also believable? And with this, we kind of mean we want our characters to have special powers, special abilities, or special things about them. But we also don't want it to come across as forced. Or to do amazing things if you write in contemporary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know for me, I'm really the global type, so I will believe pretty much anything but I do have a really hard time connecting with characters who don't have weaknesses. But honestly, for me, if, if they have a weakness and I can see it being highlighted, as long as they aren't perfect, authors can stretch it pretty far. For me, I'll buy kind of any amount of special as long as I see the consequences of that special. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess it's similar to weakness, but I want to see someone dealing with the fallout of the things that make them cool. Or struggling to become cool, yeah. or the justification for why I'm cool. Mm-hmm. Any of the above. Along with flaws. I think flaws a lot of times are what make characters interesting. Like Agreed. I said that my favorite character is Zuko, <laughs> he's because he's, he's, what? he's just like the best. I'm talking like, don't you just feel for him? Yeah. Oh I my mean, gosh, he's the best. I mean, who hasn't wanted to please their parents? And like, I mean, you feel for him even more so because you can see that he's in a really difficult situation where he's like, I want to uphold my family honor and be what I'm supposed to be this prince of the fire nation and his father burned him and banished him like it's it's awful and you can see him like getting to know Aang a little bit at least kind of like from far away (laughs) like from chasing after him and stuff and and bond at the north pole or south pole you can see him learning and like trying not to ascribe to the stuff that Aang is talking about he wants to be like the bad guy he doesn't see it as the bad guy and, like, just watching his character go through that and, like, finally come to terms with what he has to do is so interesting. It's his Whereas, inner conflict. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. so compelling. And, the, the, I mean, the most interesting thing about it is that it shifts. And his, his desire shifts. And once, once that desire shifts and he reconciles with the, with the darkness in his past and with the bad things that he's done, and he, he finally lets that all out and comes to terms with the fact that he wasn't doing what was right. That is like the most human emotional completeness <laughs> that I've ever seen anywhere. It's so good. Well, I mean, and like, while the rest of the characters in that series are funny and interesting to watch, like Zuko's the one yeah. I stayed for. Well, and what's really interesting is that they all go through really huge changes from where they started off. And yeah, Zuko's is the one I think that's most compelling. And I wonder, I kind of wonder why. Like, like redemption arcs are just cool. Yeah, they are. Yeah. But even like Sokka, he starts off as this, 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 <laughs> the super sexist jerk. And he ends up like okay. being good at 
being a person, I guess. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a big fan of character development. I think if you can make your character change from the beginning to the end of your book, I think I'm probably going to be interested in your character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think at the heart of this is that your characters must be forced to make decisions. Yeah. Things can't just happen to your characters. They must make choices and all choices have consequences. So when bad choices are made, usually a bad consequence will follow and your character has to learn from that. A believable character really is a character who makes choices and has to deal with the consequence. That's how you shape your book. Well, and makes choices coming from their background and their life view and stuff. Like you need to have the establishment of who they are and what they believe. And then when they start making those choices, your reader should be able to, to get on board Mm -hmm. with the choices that they're making, even if Mm -hmm. they like throw the book across the room as a result, because it's frustrating. I think that boils it down pretty well. So it's about their conflict and where they come from. And also we talked a little bit about how they talk. That's good. Now you guys can go and put that in practice and try the dialogue exercise Cameron mentioned. (laughs) (laughs) But now we get to move on to a really fun part of the podcast. I always enjoy this. We are going to run a critique of a first chapter submission we have. Would someone like to give a quick summary? I will. It's about a... I'm guessing it's Viking-inspired fantasy world. I think it's fantasy. Not historical fiction. I haven't seen any magic yet. seems epic, so... Yeah, I'm going to say fantasy. So the kingdom names are not historical, I'm pretty sure. Oh, well, there we go. So it's Viking-inspired, and there's this girl who fights her father in the opening scene because she wants to go on raids with him, and she manages to beat him, but then there's all this fallout of, of getting to go with her father on these raids because her mother's upset about it because she's worried about succession and because she's a royal because she's a royal mm-hmm. sorry i probably should have said that i'm really bad at this i don't know you guys let me do <laughs> so we're following this girl as she follows what she wants to do which is go on raids with her dad that's mm-hmm. all she wants out of life so a quick reminder how this works we will talk for a few minutes about things we liked and then we'll go into things that could use a second look as a podcast group, we will try to be non-prescriptive, but Ben's an agent, so he knows his stuff and he can be prescriptive. So let's go ahead and start with things we liked. There were a lot of really great character lines in here. One I really like, there's an exchange where Kajana's sister says, have you ever considered the gods have another purpose for you? And then she says, if they have, they're not my gods. And I was just like, oh man, I know exactly who this character is because of that one sentence. It was really good. There were um, a lot of good one-liners throughout the the piece and I felt like in the in the prose mostly is where I found them like there was this one particular that stood out that said as if the sun were his enemy and the night his sanctuary which just told me a lot about this character and there were a lot of those tiny little things in there that stood out a couple that I liked she said something that happens buried her soul deeper than a warrior's grave or there's a place where she's getting bandaged up after a fight and it says the healing room smelled of day-old death and dried herbs. And I also really like the name of her father's sword. He comes out and he's going to fight her and his sword is named Merciless. Well, even the first sentence was really good. It, yeah. the mm-hmm. warriors, ga- warriors gathered like star wolves. It sets a good tone. Ben likes the first line. I did like this first line. <laughs> I, know, I know I normally say that I don't. Oh, yeah, Merciless is a great name. Sword. So it was great because you have the dynamic, right? It's obvious you have the father fighting the daughter. I was going to hold back. Well, sword's name's merciless. So maybe not. And it mentions, too, that she's covered with scars from mm-hmm. her previous battles, which really also tipped that off that, you know, this is going to be a real fight. Just because he's her father, he's not going to hold back. I wonder why her mother was less concerned 
<laughs> father fighting her then talks about the family dynamic Never right mind. there. Okay. <laughs> Another line I thought was very character telling as well is when she sees the other warriors around her and they kind of shove her and she says they didn't pity her nor did she want it. So right from the very beginning we get this image of this just really tough I mean Viking-esque woman. If we're ready to move on to things that might need a second look along with that whole aesthetic with the Viking women and like there's blood and dirt and there's dirt on her face and a bunch of stuff like that. One of the things that stuck out to me a little, this is super nitpicky, so I don't know why I'm saying it first, (laughs) but the reason that people clean blood off of their swords is because blood is really corrosive. And so it made me wonder a whole lot about the competency of all these warriors if they left blood on their armor and on their swords because it, you know, would ruin them. I think my biggest issue with this submission is that I felt like we were thrown into an extremely emotional situation without quite having been given enough information to really understand everyone's stakes or why it's an emotional situation at all. Like we're clearly following Kajana, but I don't think we're really in her head a lot. And because we get a lot of random pieces of information that don't really fit together. So we find out somebody has died. We find out her mom has had a miscarriage. We find out something about a royal amulet. There's a warrior, a warrior grandmother. There's a lot of pieces that don't really seem to connect. And I'm not really certain why we've been given to them at the moment that we have been. Um, especially yeah. because the emotional impact doesn't seem to be there either. I want to say I agreed 100% with that assessment. I think my biggest problem with submission is we're not given enough reason to care about what's going on. We're just dropped in the middle of this fight scene that seems like action for action's sake. We don't know why we're supposed to care about these characters yet. I absolutely feel like this book isn't started in the right place, even though I do really like that first line, because there's no emotional stake in what's going on in this fight. Like, this main character, Kajana, is the main character, so by default we kind of want her to win this fight, but there's no reason why we should root for her at this moment. We don't know what she's fighting for. We don't know what she's trying to gain. And there's there's no grounding in what's going on. So I think the author really does need to take a look at where this book has started. It might need to happen beforehand. And, and you can absolutely keep this fight scene in the first chapter if you want to. You just really, really need to ground the reader in your character's emotional desires for the payoff to have any effect. I was going to say, in particular, I had difficulty tracking the main character's motivation. We don't know why they're fighting at the start. Then we get hints that, oh, she wants to be a warrior. It's, you know, okay, it's a start. But then we get, there's there's an argument between her and her father in the middle of the fight where she's like, I want to fight to protect everyone. And then he taunts her, that's impossible. You need to be angry. Which felt very sift to me. But maybe that's a different discussion. <laughs> um, and then and then we find out, well, no, she's not, she doesn't want, but she's being a raider. Becoming a raider to protect people is odd because raiding is by definition, an offensive maneuver. But then later we find out, well, no, she doesn't want to raid for raiding's sake or to protect people. She wants to be a raider so she doesn't have to be part of a royal marriage. And there's no telegraphing until we get to the royal marriage part that that's what she's actually scared of. Or even if that is what she's scared of, she's kind of like dismissive of her sister being like, her sister is going to be royally married. That's I I read read the argument between her and her sister as confirmation that that's what she was scared of because she was so hostile to her sister. But Mm -hmm. for me, that was telegraphing. This is the royal marriage is the absolute worst thing that's going to happen to this character, which is why I know it's what's going to happen next chapter, or at least Mm -hmm. that's what I predict. But my point being is, though, is that it wasn't until 
way after the fight that we got the, what the actual stake was. I'll agree with Cameron there. There was the action was good and it was exciting. I just feel like it missed kind of missed the emotional beats, which I feel like can make it even more powerful. Another a nitpicky note I had. So at one point she reaches down in the dirt and she marks her face. And because I'm me, I have tried this before, <laughs> but the dirt doesn't really stick. It just kind of makes your face dirty and then it doesn't look as cool as I thought it would. And so I was, I always thought that <laughs> quite a bit, but I, I just want to point out there. That's a, that's a really good spot to, to look at in the book because there was a lot of, I felt like kind of too flowery of language, too much prose that tried to be, I don't know, <laughs> kind of, kind of what we talked about last week. It yeah. stands, it's not quite what the voice for the rest of the chapter is. Yeah, absolutely. Like, the author felt it felt like the author was trying to sound more sophisticated than the than the book was calling for, and it was a very flowery way to say something as simple as she put dirt on her face. It just felt a little bit too forced to me, and there were a lot of a lot of uh, places throughout that that felt that way to me. I will second that. There were actually a handful of times where I had to stop and reread sentences a couple of times mm-hmm. because like the syntax was. It was edging into purple, I, I would say, like purple prose, but more like purple syntax, which I don't think you see as often. <laughs> which actually, I felt a little <clears throat> bit like that about the dialogue, too. It sounds like it's trying to sound foreign or like really stilted or maybe it just is stilted. I'm not sure. But like I had to reread a lot of the dialogue and it felt like it was a little bit on the nose a lot of the time. The, the calling back and forth between her and her dad, I was like she's the maid and he's the butler. Like we're, we're throwing out a bunch of stuff that it doesn't seem like it would happen during a fight, but then also it just seems like really on the nose. Yeah. I think most of the dialogue in here sounds forced. It sounds a little bit flat and like all of these characters sound very similar. I would, I would really advise the author to push to make every single character sound different make all the dialogue sound real, just like we were talking about before. Just go out and listen to other people, how they speak, bring empathy into your characters and make them sound like different people. We've got about one minute left. Do we have any final thoughts before we wrap it up? There's one more thing that I wanted to mention. We did talk a little bit about POV and how it doesn't feel like we're quite in Kajana's head, which is the main character's name. One of the times that I felt like that was really apparent was when she's standing in a room with her parents who are Mm -hmm. talking about... Mm -hmm a miscarriage and she, she vanishes in that scene yeah there's she has no part in the scene and it's a really mm-hmm. personal conversation where her mother and her father are standing talking about a miscarriage and her father like gets out of his warrior persona and hugs her and is comforting her and i'm like do they not notice that like 20 year old girl or however old she is 17 17 year old girl standing <laughs> right behind them so yeah. it just it seemed out of pov it, it definitely Agreed. did all right well Thank you for submitting. Um, it seems like a really cool world. Yeah, like, I enjoyed like reading inspired, this. I'm on board. Amen. Cool. Me too. Mm-hmm. And thank you, Ben, for coming on the show. We love having you. Always great advice. Yeah, our absolutely. guest, Our guest next episode will be number one New York Times bestseller, Catherine Purdy, author of Burning Glass, Crystal Blade, Frozen Rain, and the newly announced Bone Grace du- duology. If you'd like a first chapter critique from Catherine, remember to check our submission guidelines and get us your first chapter by November 21st. We'll be recording live on November 29th. Remember, this is both a video and a podcast, so you can either watch us on YouTube channel, listen on Apple Podcasts, or whatever app you use. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review or a comment. It helps others to find the show. 
If you want to ask us questions or tell us we're awesome, you can find us on Twitter at Lit Service or on Facebook and Instagram at Lit Service Podcast. For Lit Service, thanks for listening and we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>